Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and today I want to tell you about an SUV that is truly fun to drive on the road. This is not another car-based SUV trying to pose as some rugged, trail-busting 4x4. Instead, it's an SUV built from car DNA that pretty much sticks to the car thing and ends up doing a solid imitation of a four-door sports sedan. Just one with a little more ground clearance, a rear hatch, and, of course, all-wheel drive for better traction on wet and snowy roads. Now, that combination of attributes sounds an awful lot like I might be pitching you on the idea of buying a used Porsche Cayenne or a BMW X5, but no, this one is made in the land of the rising sun. And while it was able to give the Germans a run for their money back when it was new, today it's an even better deal, and I'll tell you what it is and why you might want one in just a moment. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. So I really like today's better than new vehicle. In fact, I like it so much that it's an SUV that almost ended up in our garage when we needed to replace our totaled Honda Pilot a few years ago. Now, I'll tell you why that didn't work out a little bit later. But first, today's SUV. It's the Infiniti FX45, available in the U.S. from model years 2003 to 2008. It's a beast of an SUV with its V8 engine, sport suspension, 20-inch wheels, and somewhat polarizing styling, at least when it was new. Now, personally, I think it's aged well and looks great, but back when they first launched the FX45, Infiniti called it the Bionic Cheetah, whatever that means. But today, as a used car buy, I would call it a good-looking, compact, quick-accelerating, and competent-handling SUV that's still way more fun to drive than most. And if that sounds intriguing to you, here's why you might want one. So, you might want an FX45 if you like great handling cars, but you need extra space that an all-wheel drive SUV offers. Now, this one is a four-door, five-passenger example that's really more comfortable with only four people. You know, it's not huge, so if you don't need an SUV with a third row, this one might be for you. Now, you might want an FX45 if... You want your SUV to drive more like a car. This one is infused with the DNA of Nissan's 350Z sports car and Infiniti's G35 sedan and coupe, so you know it's going to handle well. Now, you might want an FX45 if you want extra horsepower and torque to go with your SUV. With its 4.5 liter V8, this thing is quick, and the V8 torque makes it a pleasure to drive every day. And finally, you might want an FX45 if you prefer more sport than utility when it comes to sport utility vehicles. This one definitely leans heavy on the sport side, so forget about rock crawling or off-road excursions with the FX45. Okay, now let's dig into what makes the FX45 so great. First of all, like I mentioned, it's a car-based SUV, and it's based on Nissan's FM, or front midship, platform. Basically what that means is they move the engine back towards the center of the car, behind the axle, as much as they can. They push the wheels out towards the corner, and the reason they do that is to give any vehicle on the FM platform better driving dynamics, better handling, right? So that's where that comes from. And the FX45 has pretty close to 50-50 weight distribution. It's around 52-48 front to rear, which is 
you know, frankly amazing for a car with a big V8 hanging out front. Another thing that makes it great is that V8 engine. I mean, woof. When you start the car, it just, you can feel the air. You can feel it just suck in the air. And in fact, everyone that I've driven, I roll the window down first and I push the start button and you can just hear it. It just, it's great. <laughs> if you love the sound of a V8, it's muffled. It's not loud. It's a near luxury car. So they're not trying to make it, you know, you're not at the drag races or anything, but it's just cool to hear that. Uh, in fact, when we test drove one of these at a dealership, my wife got in. I said, honey, you drive it because, you know, it's going to be your car. She got in. She pushed the button. You can hear it like, whoa, 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 whoa. And she goes, whoa. <laughs> I started laughing. I'm like, yeah, whoa. It's awesome. But even more awesome than hearing it start is actually driving it. So it's a 4.5 liter, makes 315 horsepower and 329 pound-feet of torque. That was when they first launched it in 2003. In 2006, it got a little bump in horsepower, up to 320, it's 5 horsepower, and torque went up to 335 from the 329, so 6 pound-feet of torque. Will you notice the difference? No, I don't think you will. But the result is lots of performance for the money that you spent, even back then when they were $50,000 new, or today when they're more like $10,000. Now, how much performance are we talking about here? Well, Road and Track, back in the day, tested a 2006 model, and that car, or SUV, did 0 to 60 in 6.1 seconds, and it covered the quarter mile in 14.6 seconds at 96.3 miles per hour. Now, that's quick, especially for an SUV. I mean, that's, and especially for an SUV back then, which was, what, 15 years ago, but still pretty impressive. The top speed was electronically limited to 142 miles per hour. Again, really fast for an SUV. Most get limited to like, you know, 110, 120, just because the tires typically can't keep up with the speed. They don't have the speed rating for it. Uh, another thing that's great in the car is the brakes. This particular car that Road and Track tested, it stopped from 60 miles per hour in 120 feet. It stopped from 80 miles per hour in 213 feet. I mean, that's car territory. You're talking, you know, sports sedan kind of stuff. And in the slalom, their 200-foot slalom, it pulled 0.85 Gs. Again, really solid car stuff for that point in time at 63 miles per hour, which is a little bit slower. But, you know, it's a 4,500-pound SUV with a 3,500-pound tow rating. I mean, it's impressive. So you can have your cake and eat it, too. I don't know what that means, but you, know, you can have your SUV and your sports sedan, too whatever. Anyway, another thing that makes these cars great is that that 50,000 MSRP price original has substantially depreciated down to where you're going to pay 8 to 10, maybe 12 grand for a really good example. I think 10 grand is going to get you something great. So <laughs> from what I'm seeing, man, it's a lot of value and a lot of vehicle for the money. That's what makes it great. Okay, now let's talk about what's not so great about the car. Now, overall, a lot of great things about the FX45. There are just very few things that I would consider are an issue with these cars. However, the elephant in the room is fuel economy. Now, on the one hand, if you buy a V8 SUV, you should expect poor fuel economy. That's just part of the deal. And in this particular case, you're probably looking at like, you know, 15, 16, maybe 17 around town. Not much better on the freeway. 19, 20. The road tests that we were talking about earlier, the road and track test, they got 14.9 average. 
which is better than I would expect for a bunch of magazine testers who tend to just drive the crap out of their cars when they test them. So, you know, 15 miles per gallon. Not terrible based on other V8 SUVs, okay? Uh, But terrible compared to the average car. And the fact that this runs on premium is another level of cost. So you got to keep that in mind. Now, in some ways, the cost of gasoline and the fact that this is a V8 SUV kind of works in your favor to keep the prices low, the actual price you pay to purchase the car. I think these might be worth more money if, or they would be worth more money if they got better fuel economy. But they don't, so, you know, it probably depresses the prices a little bit. So that works in your favor. Now, if you're thinking, you know, I could get an EV, electric vehicle, and the torque of an EV is like or better than a V8. I mean, the torque on electric vehicles is amazing. That's why they accelerate so quickly. But, you know, they also cost more. If you're going to buy a new EV, it's going to be expensive. And for me, let's just do a quick comparison here. The one I would get is Hyundai's Ioniq 5. That was Motor Trend's car of the year. Yay, car of the year. And for good reason. It's really a great vehicle. I like the looks personally. Some people don't love it, but I like it. And if you get the all-wheel drive version with dual motors, so it's got a motor in the front and the rear, the combined horsepower of that is basically equivalent to the FX45. It's 320 horsepower. But the big difference is it makes 446 pound-feet of torque, which compared to that 2006 model FX45 with 335 pound-feet of torque, it's a 111 pound difference in torque, which is a lot. So, you know, that's why it's much quicker, like zero to 60 time. Probably doesn't have the same top speed, or maybe it does. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be quicker. However, the range when you get out on the freeway on that car is only like, I think it's like 230 miles. It's not, it's not great. So an FX 45 with a near 24 gallon fuel tank can go a lot further. It can probably go 400 miles, 410 miles, something like that. So there's a trade-off. And the other thing, like I said, the price. Ionic 5 is going to be $60,000, and an FX45 is going to be more like $10,000 for a good one. So you're talking one-fifth the price. I'm sorry, you're one-sixth the price, but one-fifth the price, even if you factor in the $7,500 rebate that uh, you get for EV cars, depending on the car, uh, from the federal government, right? Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, I can save money. and Yeah, you save some money, but still, it's not cheap, and it's not free. And oh, by the way, electricity still costs money. It's not like you can recharge it for free. You still have to pay for that. And if you don't have a charger in your garage, you're going to want to install one, put in a level two or better charger so you can quick charge your car at home. And when you go out on the road and you have to charge up, a lot of these places, they ding you extra for using their facility. It's not just the electricity. You're paying for their installation of that charger and all that kind of stuff. And then over time, that Ionic 5 is going to go down in value. It's going to depreciate. You know, five years from now, it might be worth 30000 We just don't know, but let's say it started at sixty. That's full meal deal, all in, all wheel drive, limited edition. It could drop to 30000 bucks. So that's $30,000 that you no longer have because the value goes away because you drove it. A depreciated asset. You used it, right? Now, the fuel side of it, I did a quick check on fueleconomy.gov, and basically the difference between the two cars over five years is like, close to $18,000 in fuel. 
So that's like 3500 bucks a year in fuel that you're going to pay to run the FX45. But again, you're getting into it for $10,000 or so, depending on the car you find. Yeah, it's a trade-off. But for me, what I would do, I would get a cheap EV, like a Nissan Leaf or a Fiat 500e, pick one of those up for about the same cost as the FX45. You know, they're going to be around eight, nine, ten grand, something like that. Maybe a little bit more, but probably a little bit less if you shop a bit. And then you have an electric vehicle that you can do errands in, all the kind of close to home stuff, no more than like 30 or 40 miles away and back, because those don't have a long range. They have like an 80, 90 mile range. And then for everything else, long trips, driving in the snow, going skiing, having fun, you drive the FX45. And you're all in for both cars for 20000 which is still, you know, a third to a half of what you're going to pay for an Ionic 5. Yeah, that's what I would do. Okay, right. A few more things on the not-so-great side. Um, these cars handle well, but they do have a firm suspension, and some people complain about that suspension being kind of bangy over, you know, ruts in the road and that sort of thing. You got a firm suspension car that handles well, you know, don't cry about it. It's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. Now, I think the later cars actually made some tweaks to the shocks and the bushings. So, you know, if you get a like a 2006 or eight, seven or eight, it's going to maybe smooth the bumps out a little bit, but it's never going to be like a plush ride. You're not getting a Cadillac. You're getting, well, you're not getting a like an old Cadillac kind of floaty sort of thing. New Cadillacs handle great, but uh, the old ones were, you know, back in the 70s, kind of a big land yacht, right? You're not getting that kind of a suspension. So just understand that up front. Another thing I want to mention, uh, these do have a liquid-filled differential bushing that's in the rear subframe that holds the differential in place and reduces vibration. Those can actually fail over time, and it's kind of a pain to replace that. I've seen a couple of videos online, and I personally wouldn't want to do it. And, you know, it might be expensive to pay a shop. So definitely have a pre-purchase inspection. Have the car checked over. Probably take it to an Infinity dealer. Make sure somebody who's familiar with the car checks it out. Another thing that's kind of on the downside is it's a premium Nissan. It's not a Nissan. It's going to be a little bit more expensive, but still less to repair and buy parts for than a German car. Uh, a couple other things that aren't so great. The dash material the covering on the dashboard, it can tend to bubble up and pull away if the car has been kept in like a hot environment. Like let's say it lived its life in Tucson or New Mexico. It was out in the sun a lot. Those can kind of bubble up a little bit, especially on the earlier cars. I've seen a few like that. It's kind of ugly. I don't know if they can fix it, but you might want to, you know, just take a look, make sure it's not bubbling and the material's not pulling away. Another thing, the leather and the seat coverings in the car is not great compared to some other premium cars like Lexus. It just doesn't wear as well. So you want to have one that's maybe been garaged, hasn't spent a lot of time in the sun, and you want to check to make sure that there's no cracks or seam separation, that sort of thing. But again, it's minor stuff. So hey, overall, FX45 is a great car with the exception of the fuel economy. Okay, so those are some of the issues you could have with an FX45. Now I want to tell you about the one that we considered buying back in June of 2019. So one of our offspring, who shall remain nameless, wrecked our Honda Pilot, totaled it. 
it could still drive, but, you know, it was one of those things where the cost to repair it was more than the value of the car. So, you know, blah, we ended up selling it back to the insurance company. We got a check. So we had to buy a car. And I had remembered seeing on Craigslist an FX45 for a reasonable price. It was fifty nine ninety five, And I remember thinking, wow, that's actually a great price. The pictures look great. And I didn't really read too deeply because I wasn't looking. But I thought, yeah, that's a car I'd look at. Well, I went and did a quick search, and of course, it wasn't there, right? It had been a couple of weeks, and I kept checking. We looked at some other cars and that sort of thing, but it took us a while to find a, a car, so I had some time. Anyway, a week later, I checked Craigslist again, and all of a sudden, boom, the car that I saw you know, almost a month earlier reappeared and reposted for the same price, $59.95. So, I get a hold of the guy, and it turns out this car is about two hours away from where we lived. And I wanted to get the VIN number to run a Carfax, right? I'd read the ad, and there were a couple things that didn't add up. There was something in there that said something like it had a refurbished motor, but then there was some other copy that said everything was fine with the car. So it was kind of confusing. I got a hold of the guy, and I said, hey, does this car have a rebuilt motor? He's like, no, it's a refurbished motor. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what's the difference? Anyway, he couldn't explain the difference. I think maybe he just had a tune-up or something. I, I don't know. But I wasn't really sure. And I thought, I definitely want to run a Carfax on this before I drive two hours to look at it. Because if it has like some issue that they're really not getting into, I don't want to find out after I've invested a half day of my time going to look at a car that I'm not going to buy. Anyway, I asked the guy for the VIN number so I can run a Carfax. First of all, he's like, what's the VIN number? I said, it's the vehicle identification number. It's going to be on the title. It's going to be on the registration. It's going to be at the bottom edge of the windshield. It's also under the hood. It's on a placard inside the engine compartment, typically, or it's stamped on the frame somewhere. It might be inside the driver's door on a little sticker. It's in a lot of places. You can find it. He's like, well, uh, I don't have the car. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, my sister has it. Okay, well... Can I call your sister? Well, she's busy right now. Like, how do you know that? <laughs> anyway, he, he was very kind of like standoffish. Like, he didn't want to give me the VIN number. And I said, well, can you ask your sister and then just, you know, text it to me? Oh, maybe, you know, he just sort of, it was weird, right? So 24 hours goes by and I get back a hold of the guy and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm interested in the car, but I just don't want to make a two hour drive without running a Carfax. It's just due diligence on my part to make sure everything's okay. And he's like, well, the car's in great shape. He didn't want to give me the VIN number. He didn't want to let me talk to his sister and he didn't want to give me the VIN. So I'm kind of like, all right, this is weird. And from previous experience, I mean, this wasn't my first rodeo, right? I've dealt with people who are kind of weird that are selling a car. And it's just one of those times where you just kind of go, okay, there's got to be something more here because this guy is like some dude with a tinfoil hat. He thinks maybe by giving me his VIN number on this car, I'm going to, what, steal his precious bodily fluids and turn him into like alien soup or something. I'm going to inject nanobots into his body so he can be tracked for the alien invasion. I don't know. Something, some weird thing, right? I don't know what the guy was thinking, but he just wouldn't give me the VIN number. So I kind of got to the point where, you know what? I started looking at other cars. I just forgot about it. A week later, he drops the price to 5500 I get a hold of him again. I said, dude, I really want to come look at this car, but, you know, VIN number. Can you just give me the VIN? I'm just going to run a Carfax. I just want to make sure everything's okay with the car. Still, wouldn't do it. <laughs> Okay, fine. And then 
what, like a week later, they put the price back to fifty nine ninety five, and they put this long manifesto about why they raised the price back to fifty nine ninety five, and that you know the family has decided that this is the price for the car. I'm like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I would have paid the guy fifty nine ninety five because the price was good based on what the condition of the car seemed to be. But if you won't give me the VIN number and you won't let me check for a Carfax, I'm not going to drive two hours to go look at your car and maybe find out like, oh, there's something broken on it. There's something wrong with it. Because when I got there, I would have looked at the windshield and I would have stepped off to the side and run a Carfax with my phone. And if I found something wrong, I would have wanted to punch the guy, right? Now, I might have found that the car was great and it did sell like a week or so later. And I've always wondered... Did I miss out on something great? Or did I just take a trip through cloud cuckoo land and it was all a dream? Man, I don't know. But <laughs> I still like the FX45. And I still like that particular car in that color and the visual condition that it was in. But I'll never know if that was a good deal or not. So hopefully you don't run into Mr. Crazy when you're out looking for an FX45. So here's a question. Should you buy an FX45? I would say if you've ever considered getting something like a used Porsche Cayenne SUV that's depreciated down to $15,000 from the original 90000 or so that it was new, then I think an FX45 is a better choice. Now, I personally fall into that category. I've looked at the Cayennes and said, man, they've gotten cheap. Maybe I should buy one. But I also know from experience that there's no such thing as a cheap German car, <laughs> right? No such thing as a cheap German car. But in the case of the FX45, if it's been well cared for and reasonably low miles and only one or two owners, you could get a fun-to-drive V8 SUV that does a pretty good imitation of a Porsche Cayenne for a lot less money. And if you do have to fix something, you're going to be much happier paying for parts and labor on a Nissan than you will on a Porsche. I mean, German cars are just, they cost more to maintain and to own, Okay. All right, so let's talk about what you might pay for one. Now, starting in the $5,000 range, there's a lot of high miles used up examples that are near 5K. As you move up towards $10,000, they get substantially better. I would say the sweet spot is probably maybe nine or 10,000 on the low end of the sweet spot up to about 11 or 12,000. And that includes cars from a dealership. It includes cars from a private party. They're all kind of clumped together. Now, I still think you can get a better deal than that. If you want to take the time and to just look and look and look, it might take you two or three months to find one, but you could find one for less, maybe seven or eight grand for a really nice one from a private party that doesn't have a ton of miles minimal owners, all that kind of stuff. But if you're willing to just plunk down $10,000, you can find a really great FX45. I don't think you'll have to pay more unless you're in a hurry. Take your time. Your chariot will arrive. Now, more than that, like thirteen to $15,000, i have seen some dealers charging that, but dealers aren't really, I don't think they're getting the money for these. I, again, I think it has to do with the fact that gas is expensive and people are just like, ooh, V8, no thank you right? Keeps the prices down. So if you're going to pay that much, um, I'd say you're just a lazy person. You should shop harder. <laughs> okay. There's good deals to be found that are a lot less expensive than 13 to 15. Again, 9,000, 10,000, maybe 11,000. That's the sweet spot. Now, are there any other options? Well, yes. Now that you're asking, you could look at an Infinity FX 35, 
which is the six-cylinder version of the FX45. The cars look basically the same, and if you get the sport suspension and 20-inch wheels on the FX35, you're going to have the same good handling with just a few less horsepower. I think the V6 makes 280 horsepower, so it's about 40 horsepower less. Now, the torque curve isn't going to be as you know high and flat as it is in a V8, so you're going to give up a little bit there. You're going to get a little bit lighter weight, a little bit from the six-cylinder engine versus the V8. But personally, for my money, I'd go for the FX45. I wouldn't. I just, you know, you're getting a V8, man. Come on, do it. So what else could you get? Infinity made the FX50, which was available from 2009 through 2013. That had a V8 as well, but it was bumped up to 5 liters, and it made 390 horsepower and 369 pound-feet of torque. And that one's a bruiser. Man, that's... uh, at zero to 60 in like a second less, so probably right around five seconds. Yeah, for an SUV, that's that's pretty cool. Looks a little bit different than the earlier FX45, but still, it's that Infinity styling. I think Infinity's from that era a really good deal. There's a lot of cars and SUVs that they made and crossovers and stuff. It's just, it's this hodgepodge of things, but man, there's a lot of good stuff out there and the prices have just kind of cratered for whatever reason. Well, in the case of the V8s, I, I get it. It's fuel economy. But great cars. And again, if they're you know one or two owners and well-maintained, hey, why not buy one? So an FX50 is another option. It's going to be more expensive, of course, because it's newer and probably less miles on the car. But either one of those would be a great option. Okay. So if you fancy yourself an SUV that does a pretty good imitation of a V8 sports sedan with torque, acceleration, and great handling to match, then I would put an Infiniti FX45 from 2003 to 2008 at the very top of your must-buy list. It's really that awesome. And with that, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Than New. And if you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and follow this podcast I do this for you, and your continued interest makes it all possible. Also, I want to let you know that next week, I'll be taking a look back at the vehicles we covered in 2022, and I'll let you know which are my favorites and which ones I still recommend most. So be sure to check that out. And until next time, I'm Gary Crenshaw, this is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.